Hi everyone, this is Leo from the Bible Matters podcast. And just to say that on Friday, we're going to be speaking once again to William Taylor, senior pastor at St. Helens Bishopsgate. We're going to be speaking to him again about a series he preached in Luke 17 to 19, and in particular this time about the last talk he did in that series on Luke chapter 19, verse 11 to 27. It's the passage about the parable of the ten minas, and it was an amazing reminder for me about how we can best use our lives to work for the kingdom of the Lord Jesus. So stay tuned to listen to that talk, and I really hope you enjoy it. A number of years ago, they decided to thin the trees behind our house. I can't remember if I've told you this or not before, but uh, the decision came as a result of what might be described as a meeting without coffee between a local councillor and three ladies from our square. And my sympathy was entirely with the local councillor as I saw the meeting because the ladies were of one mind and quite formidable. And um, the time came for the trees to be thinned and they went around putting a cross on the trees that were going to be cut down. <clears throat> this was about March. In April, nesting started, the nesting season, and a couple of magpies decided to make their, their new home at the top of one of the trees. I tried to tell them there was a cross on the bottom of the tree and that it was going to be cut down, but they would not listen. <laughs> and so then, just as their babies were on the point of hatching, this is a very sad story, just as the babies were on the point of hatching, the men with the chainsaws arrived and their beautiful house came tumbling down. And then, to their immense folly, they went on and started to build a new nest at the top of another tree with a big rex on the bottom of it, which was suddenly dispatched. Well, I don't like magpies anyway. Because subject... The subject uh, of uh, this final talk is making wise decisions today in the light of a certain reality tomorrow. That's the subject. Wise decisions today, certain reality tomorrow. We come to the back end of this discrete section of Luke's gospel. It could not be more logical or more apposite as a final piece. So we began with revision. This is the kingdom. You can be part of it. And then we were told what the future coming of the kingdom would be like. You won't miss it. It'll be cataclysmic and it will be divisive. And then we had how the kingdom comes today. These six incidents, which are such a fantastic description of how God's kingdom comes and breaks into this world here and now. And then as we finish verse um, 11, we see, as they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. There's going to be a delay before he comes. So we've had the six teaching segments, gradually unpacking what his work is now. And now we're at the back end of the section, and he returns to where we began, the coming of the king. And verse 11 is key because he was near to Jerusalem, and they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. Remember what we said about parables. You're only going to understand the parable if you understand the context. Luke wonderfully tells us what the parable means on each occasion. 
The story Jesus then tells in 12 through 15 couldn't have been more contemporary. In 4 BC, Herod, the great son Archelaus, was chosen to rule over Judea. He was widely hated. And in those days, if you were in a provincial area and you were made king by the Roman settlers, you had to go to Rome. It was a very good policy because in Rome you would see the great empire and you'd be made to realize just what power lay behind and what might happen if you step out of line. Anyway, Archelaus heads off to uh, Rome. He was widely hated. And even as he went, the people of Judea, who he was about to reign over, sent a delegation to the emperor saying, please, we don't want Archelaus. They were duly dealt with when he was appointed. So he said, therefore, verse 12, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas, or minas, or menas. And he said to them, Engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We don't want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The noble rep, nobleman represents Jesus, the servants represent the disciples, the citizens represent unbelievers. But the setting of the parable is clear. There is a delay. And therefore the subject is investing wisely today in the light of a certain reality tomorrow. Verse 26. Do I mean verse 26? I don't think I do. So the play will end, as we said on, uh, uh, on yesterday morning. The clock will strike, the whistle will be blown, the curtain will fall, and time will be called. But it's not going to happen yet, and there is to be a delay. And how we decide today, in the light of God's certain reality tomorrow, is what this parable is all about. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he'd given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. Now, Amina was the equivalent of three months' wages. So if you're a labourer, close to £7,000. So it's hard to get hold of a labourer these days. I'm working about £12 an hour. A city wage, how maybe you're a newly qualified lawyer or something like that, we're talking £25,000, £30,000. He gave them 10 minas. I take it he gave them one mina each because when he returns, he asks, what did your mina do? How did it get on? But it, even so, it's no small sum. And um, you can imagine each one, as the nobleman's SUV disappeared in a trail of dust over the horizon, his property has been entrusted to them. Engage in business till I return. What a responsibility. What a privilege. What a trust. I have the business of the master in my hands while he is away. What a great honour. The question is, what are the ten minas? What do they represent? Made much more difficult, some of you would have heard us speaking on this, because of the parallel parable in Matthew's Gospel where the minas are described as talents. And in English, the word talent means what I'm good at. Whereas in Greek, the word talent is a sum of money. And so some people, some Bible teachers even, handle this really wrongly. And they suggest that I must make the most of my talents, what I'm good at. Gemma plays the flute. 
Ahmed is really good at maths. You should see Jez on the games console. St. Helens has got talent. But the meaners or the talents in that take, way of taking it represents our gifts. And you may have heard people making a complete holix of this parable by suggesting, therefore, I must be the best banker I could be. I work in tech or as a PA. I must be the best PA or secretary or, or tech worker that I can possibly be. And so I transform the business and make a great deal of my talent for the sake of the Lord so that people see my light shining. That is exactly not what this parable is all about. The trouble is the talent, like the mina, has nothing, precisely nothing to do with what I'm good at. No, the talent also was a sum of money, just as the mina is. Actually, the talent was considerably more. The talent was 20,000 years' wages. So 700,000 pounds for a labourer, 2 million for a city worker, and to one he gave 10 talents. That's a lot. I can't do the maths. And to another, he gave five talents. That also is a lot. I can't do the maths. Point is that the nobleman, Jesus, has gone away for a period and he has entrusted his work, his business, to his servants, to us. And each one has been given aspects of the work to oversee. And so engage in business until I come, do the work until I return. And that leaves us asking, well, then what is this business? And in the context of what has come before, which has to be right to think that way, as they heard these things, he proceeded to tell them a parable because... So in the context of these things that he's been talking about, how the kingdom comes today, he says, engage in business. What business then is he talking about? Oh, he's talking about the far-off being brought near through the gospel, about nobodies becoming somebodies, about the impossible being made possible, about the suffering, about the seeing, about the saving. This is the business the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's what we are to engage in. I love verse 17. He said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you've been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. Look at the praise there. Well done, good servant. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Well done, good servant, for leading that Bible study. Well done, good servant, for being engaged in this area of service or that area of service. Well done, good servant. But notice what is being praised. You have been faithful. It's not the quantity of fruit that's praised. It's the faithfulness, faithfulness that has been praised. Oh, you've kept on doing it for one year, two years, five years, ten years, twenty, thirty, fifty years. Well done, good servants. You have been faithful in a little. I will set you over much. And then there's the reward. I love this. I set you over ten cities, but your mina has made one mina more. Have ten cities. But it was just 7,000 quid. It's made 70,000. Have 10 cities. So we're back where Peter was, aren't we? Just look at the reward that awaits those who are faithful in a little. 
And as I have said historically, even if the city was Birmingham, and then unfortunately there was an individual in the congregation who came up to me after and said, well, I come from Birmingham. I've actually done it in a Birmingham accent, but I daren't do it now just in case they get to hear about it. Uh, and so even if the city was Guildford, 10 cities. I mean, that is something, isn't it? For just being faithful in this little work that he's entrusted to us. And in Matthew's Gospel, it has this wonderful piece Enter into the joy of your master. Now, I love that. Here we see the generosity of the loving father that he's entrusted to us. His work as the Lord Jesus has gone, he's ascended, he's being crowned, he is returning, he will come. It will be unmistakable, cataclysmic, divisive. But when he comes, one by one by one, well done, good servant. Well done, good servant. Well done, good servant. He's entrusted it to us, and he will reward us for our faithfulness. Hold this before you every day of your life. It's wonderful, isn't it? And doesn't it resuscitate you to know that the Lord Jesus will summon us one by one? Each of us has different opportunities, each of us placed in different situations. He rewards each for their faithfulness. Notice finally the individual nature of it. You know, Jesus has been crowned over all the nations. All nations will call you blessed. I was reading that psalm this morning. Kings will come to you, and yet he summons each one, one by one. Jesus will return. You will be summoned. I will be summoned. Nothing goes unnoticed. Everything is rewarded. He sees it all. Well done, good servant. Paul puts this in 2 Corinthians like this. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body. Isn't that glorious? Not to be condemned. No, we're not going to be condemned. We've crossed over from death to life. We're no longer condemned. We have been justified. We're right with God. But each one will receive a reward for what has been done in the body. That's here and now. I take it you're in your body. If you're not in your body, then you've been taking something very strong. Ed and Evans is, and you shouldn't. Um, but if you're in your body, and you're in your body, and you're serving the Lord, and you're doing gospel work, and you're doing the ABC of gospel work, which is so simple, it's so plain, it's what they taught you in Sunday school, in the youth group, when you first went to camp, you don't graduate beyond it. That is gospel work. And there is a day, and he will return, and we've been given his work to do. And so that prayer prayed, that career choice made, that direct debit set up, that one-to-one -one with the person who is so flaky, that invitation issued, that small group led, that leave holiday used, that temptation resisted. He knows it all. He sees it all. He cares. He will reward. And as I say, the key is that this is written within the context of chapters 18 and 19. And this is the work of the king in our midst today. And this is what we have been entrusted with. And the question is, will we invest wisely? Don't be like the magpie. Steve Jobs, John Scully, John Scully worked for Pepsi. 
And Steve Jobs, remember, you know, Steve Jobs' Apple was wanting to recruit someone really good as CEO of Apple. He tried to persuade Steve Jobs for months and months and months. And eventually he got, uh, he got his John Scully to meet him in New York in Central Park. Steve Jobs, owner of Apple, brings in John Scully to New York. They walk around Central Park. Do you know what, what it was that actually persuaded John Scully to leave Pepsi? Jobs said this to him. Do you want to spend the rest of your life making sugared water? Or do you want to change the world? Quite a good recruitment line, isn't it? And here Jesus comes to us and he says, this is the work of the kingdom. Do you want to see people's eternity changed? Verses 19 through 17 are really chilling, aren't they? Verse 19. Then another came, verse 20. Here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you because you're a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I didn't deposit and reaping what I didn't sow. Why then didn't you put the money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. For as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Now he does take him at his own words. This individual says, I thought you were a severe man taking what you did not give and reaping. But he gave him exactly the same as the others. And it was a gift. And he's given us the gospel. To hold that he is a severe man shows a complete misunderstanding of the master. I really hope you don't have that understanding of the Lord Jesus. Some people Though Christian actually have that sort of understanding of the Lord Jesus, that he's a severe man. No, his grace abounds, as we've seen in these last six incidents. He's full of love. He gives us far more than we deserve. But I wonder if this individual even knew the master at all. Because he says, you were a severe man. He isn't a severe man. But I'll take you at your words. Given that you say you think I'm a severe man... Even if you thought I was a severe man, you would have done at least putting it in the bank. And Barclays would have given you 0.0001% and you would have given me something on my return. But clearly you didn't even believe what you say you thought you believed. And so I take it that this individual is a false disciple, a pretender, seed that fell on thorny or hard ground and never really grew to anything because he wasn't real. So, with the conclusion of the parable, essentially I think it is over to us. So what are we, about 90 adults? You know, this parable, if we take it seriously, will impact every single one of us at the most profound level. Because if we understand the kingdom, remember the revision, And we understand the return. He hasn't come yet. And we understand the reward and his coming again. And if we have understood one through six of how he does his work, that's what we're going to give our work to. That's what we're going to give our life to. 
there are 90 or so of us. We all have very different circumstances. It would be entirely wrong for me to tell you how you should invest your life in the light of certain future reality. I've told you, we've seen what the certain future reality is. But what we ought to be able to do is to cut into our lives, every one of us, at any point over the next 70 years. Well, for me, slightly less. But over the next 70 years, to be able to cut in and say, ah, oh, Jono is investing wisely today in light of certain future reality. But what does that investment look like? Oh, it looks like seeing people like the tax collector hear the gospel, seeing little children come to Christ on his knees before God, longing for the Lord to do the impossible, explaining the cross to little children, young adults, older people, whatever it happens to be, taking people to the word of God so that the blind can see and having the lost summoned. That's what it looks like. And so, a couple of examples. I may have mentioned them while to you before. One of my heroes is a guy called David Cooper. He was a prep school headmaster. I only met him twice in my life. I'd always heard about him because a lot of people, one way or other, had in the circles that I moved in, had been to Elstree and had come to faith in the Lord Jesus while they were there at the prep school he worked at. He was a very everyday schoolmaster at a prep school. And his funeral, I'm told there were six or 700 people there that's quite something at the funeral of an 80-year-old, fairly everyday prep school master. There's an individual I read, I have in my Bible study group on a Wednesday morning called Robin. Robin kind of got really lost between the age of 20 and 50. And in his 50s, he's come right back to the Lord Jesus. I went and spoke at a conference down in Elstree. And I said, when I came back to the city, sorry I wasn't here last week, I was speaking at a conference in Elstree. Ah, Robin says, recently come back to the Lord. I went to Elstree. Do you know, Elstree, there was a schoolmaster there. And once a month, he would go around the school offering us Bible study notes. That's where I first heard the gospel. And you think, well, there is David Cooper, who's given his life unknown, hidden, not really seen. To imagine at dinner parties, what do you do? Well, I've been a prep school master. Well, it's a wonderful thing to be a prep school master. I'm sure all his friends said, how wonderful. But you know, I've given my life to seven to 11-year-old urchins. <laughs> and 700 there at his funeral, the majority of whom had heard the gospel. And Robin, who didn't go to the funeral, but had wandered away and had come back. Well done, good and faithful servant, David Cooper. And my eldest, Emily, went on a gap year and worked in an orphanage. We did the absolutely unforgivable thing of visiting my daughter on her gap year. I mean, that's awful. I was speaking in the country, so it would have been a little bit harsh not to visit her. But she went on this gap year and we went and visited her. She was working in an orphanage. It was a fascinating place. The guy who ran the orphanage was somebody called Brendan. He was a civil engineer. He had built several of the major civil engineering pieces in South Africa. He was a big shot civil engineer. But he wanted to maximize the master's assets. 
Um, when a church leader came to him and said, there are all these kids without parents and we could bring them up to know and love the Lord Jesus, hearing the gospel day by day, do you know he determined to leave his civil engineering and go and run orphanages. Now, you've never heard of Brendan. Well, you have, actually, because I've just mentioned him. But people have never, well, actually quite a few people have because I often use an illustration. But what a hero. Well done, good and faithful servant. And then there's a whole series of actually senior businessmen and women, I only mention these because this is the area I work in, who are also heroes of mine because they've chosen to stay in their jobs. I can't imagine anything worse than being a lawyer or a bean counter or whatever it is these people do, M&A, singing any job. It must be one of the most dull jobs in the world. There they are sitting in their offices counting beans day after day. But they've determined to stay in their jobs, some of them. Most of their friends and peers have retired long ago, but they've decided to stay in those ghastly jobs for another 10 years, commuting and all the rest of it, so that the extraordinary rewards that they're given that is far more than they're worth, they can use to sponsor gospel work all over the world. Well done, good and faithful servant. And so what about us? This is the parable, actually, that took me out of the army and into paid Christian ministry. Because this idea of maximizing the master's assets for us must be... Now, it may be, somebody was talking to me about this the other day, but you know, we often live in a very kind of everyday life, wherever it happens to be, but we give ourselves to maximizing the master's assets where he's put us. Well done, good and faithful servant. But given that, the way sight comes in Luke's gospel is through the explanation of the word. And given that, I have sitting in front of me 90 people who actually have been identified as having real gifts in word ministry. I would be failing to maximize the master's assets if I didn't say to you, this is the work. Most of you could be leading churches or serving in churches and maximizing word ministry. And so you need to think to yourself, well, why won't I do that? Why aren't I doing that? And you may have a very, very, very good reason. And somebody may say to you, actually, you'd be far better going off and doing X, Y, or Z and using the gifts you have in this particular way. But it may, it just may be that for some of us, actually, for us to maximize the master's assets will mean doing what Peter did, what Matthew did, what Luke did, dropping it all and going off and giving ourselves to teaching the word of God to people, even nine-year-olds, for the rest of our life. And well done, good and faithful servant, if that's what you choose to do. I'm going to leave us there. It's for us, really, to make the applications and think about how we should apply it. Let me lead us in prayer, and then we'll break. Well done, good servant. You have been faithful. Thank you, our Father, in all the labours that we engage in. You see them, you know them, you care about them, you care for us, and that you're pleased with them. Thank you that you're not a severe man, and that you don't reap where you did not sow. We pray you praise you, our Father, for the Lord Jesus and his death on our behalf, that he sought to make much. And we pray that you would enable us to do the same. In Jesus' name, amen.